everybody! Welcome to another episode of Remember the Aughts, and we talk about everything from the 2000s, from Dunkaroos to Witch's Brew. And this is the spooky season! Spooky, scary skeletons and shivers down your spine. Spooky, spooky season. I haven't officially been banned from saying it on the podcast yet. No, I have noticed you've said a lot of times, though, when we say spooktacular savings, you make the same joke of check your weekly circular. Check your weekly circular. So I think that's my version. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to get banned from saying too many things. (laughs) I do want to start today's episode with saying um, that today I am in full sea monster mode. Sea monster mode? Yeah. Yeah, because I, I I identify as a sea monster. That uh, you know, today was I re- just a, a bad day. So I appreciate and respect that. We Thank will you. respect your sea monster privileges. I'm feeling total clovey right now. So I feel like I have been woken up from a deep slumber from an oil drilling company, and I wake up and the Statue of Liberty is giving me a mean face. That makes me think she's being super judgmental. I'm going to deck the shit out of her. So Goddamn Statue of Liberty's being judgmental. It's been one of those days, so I am in That's full Clovey mode. Um, Quick side note. Yes. Speaking of sea monsters, mm-hmm. have you ever... I've fallen down the rabbit hole because, of course, I do. Have you ever heard of the SCP Foundation? What's that? It's... I think it started, like, maybe... In like the late two thousand, like in the late aughts, but really in the two thousand tens, it's a fictional organization that stands for Secure, Contain, and Protect, mm-hmm. and it's this online community catalog of people creating stories about anomalies, paranormal activities, or creatures that are contained by the SCP Foundation. Oh, weird! <laughs> so it's kind of like if everyone made Tagruato and not just J.J. Abrams. Yes, okay. and because it's an it's a community, it's like a public domain community of people creating all these different creatures. Some of them are like goofy and stupid, but some of them are genuinely terrifying concepts. Tom, yeah, did you find out about this because of the Markiplier video? No, but okay. he does. <laughs> I it the came SCP, up because there was a game. Yes, there is a game for it, and the game has the game's great. There's two versions now. There's the original and the and the um, Unreal Engine version. But there's two creatures in particular that I've been recently like diving into. Uh-huh. They're not featured. They're not featured in the game because it'd be impossible to put them in the game. There's one called SCP Three Thousand, mm-hmm. and its story is that it encompasses the entire um, Indian Ocean, oh. and it is like a giant manta ray eel. Ooh. And its ability is that the closer you get to it, the more uneasy you feel uh-huh. and the more you feel a need to approach it. And as it consumes, it releases like this toxin that helps erase memory. So like there's this weird relationship where the foundation collect- <laughs> will sacrifice people to the eel to get this like thing it releases. Oh my God. That reminds me of... um. Uh, oh my god, what was the name of the 
podcast I would listen to, but it was, it wasn't like the a horror podcast, but it was like a myths and legends podcast. Um, I'll find was it, it out. Was it called, uh, Lore? No. Okay. Um, I'm going to find it out and then we'll put it in an editor's note for people who are interested in spooky things, but there is a house, there's a haunted house in the Midwest where they went to go visit it and they said that they actually did have a very scary pickup in their feed. And I, I just um, forwarded past it because I, I didn't want to hear it. But Oh, please send it to me. I want to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, they said that anybody who leaves the haunted house or, like, leaves this home has, like, a need to come back to it, which I oh, think is very scary. interesting. Yeah. And... They said, too, that they kind of felt like this sort of weird pull to go back to it. Like, the one who got the very scary pickup. Yeah. He said that he did kind of feel this compulsion to want to go back to it. So, it's kind of similar. Um, By the way, to the in, the, yeah. in, our, in our Zoom chat, I sent you an image if you want to take a look. Oh, That's SCP-3000. Okay, cool. Let me see. I'm going to look at the... Oh, it still went to the... Did it still go to the video? Oh, it was just very tiny. Oh my god. <laughs> if anybody is wondering, it's like Mario 64 when you have to get the eel out of the underwater world, but to scale, it's even much, much bigger than the eel in Mario 64. It's like if you've played God of War or are familiar with Norse mythology, it's like Jumundor, the earth serpent. But like, I think eels are just naturally creepier than snakes. Um, eels are cool. I mean, they're, they're cool, cool, but they're they're cool. But I think like that's why I like them. Yeah. They're creepier than snakes. Like snakes, like you you get it. It's a, it's a lizard without legs. Okay, I found the podcast that I was talking about because um, I had to remember they were one of the first podcasts that I started listening to. Yeah. Um. Astonishing Legends. Okay. Yeah. And I forget the name of the house, but it's in there. If you like kind of like mysteries that go unsolved or um, myths that people believe in, they really go into all of it. Yeah. So this is, I really like that we kind of did a little bit of a, like a talk about creepy things. Yeah, it goes if you with want the more season. creepy things this Halloween, check these things of out. Of course. Yeah, SCP is a fun rabbit hole because a lot of it is silly, but then some of it is like existential and otherworldly. Yeah, yeah, sure. But um, that's not the topic of today's episode. Yes, um, my <laughs> mood is the perfect state of being. We're going to have a good episode today because um, I'm just going to be in the mood to shit talk this movie a lot. That's fair. And I, I did feel really bad. You shouldn't. I, when we watch this movie together. <laughs> Don't. Because I, I had a lot of fun and I'm like, man, this brings me back to being a kid. But like, And then I was hating it the whole time. You hated it the whole time. That's okay. That's not your fault. You're allowed to have a nostalgic time and i can just sit there and be like this choreography sucks tom lied to me <laughs> although there is a lot to talk about on like the production the behind the scenes and just kind of like why this movie 
is the way it is because mm-hmm. <laughs> there is like even watching it with you there are lots of moments where i'm like oh this is uncomfortable oh this doesn't age well yeah oh they really um, and there's okay. i did deep research and yes. there's reasons for a lot of it okay but today's episode is on freddy versus jason welcome to my nightmare Awake or sleep. Why won't you die? Go Freddy versus Jason. Place your bets. Dun, dun, dun. Place your bets. <laughs> oh God! I I actually really hate that line. <laughs> like I know I commented when we watched the movie. I'm like, I don't think that was in the movie because it was in the trailer. Right. It's good that it wasn't in the movie. So my thing is okay. Like when this movie came out, we were in high school, and I think we were middle school. Oh my God! Wait, when did this movie come out? 2003. Oh, you're right. You're right. We were in middle school, and at that point, I was just like, I don't know who these fucking people are, but I think I'm supposed to be scared, so I don't want to see it. This is not for me. And then just very quickly, even before the internet being what it is now, where, like, if it's a bad movie, you find out right away, um, you still kind of found out, like, oh, this movie sucked. But yep. I had the impression that it would be a funny bad movie. And I was disappointed to find out it was not. It's ba- it's doing a lot of balancing acts because it never fully commits to being... That's a good point. ...comedically absurd because they try to do this, on paper, pretty cool exposition as to why these two characters meet, mm-hmm. but it's, they never commit to it, so the performances are terrible. Yeah, And I think that's what was kind of making me not find it funny because, like, you have something like Jason X. Like, you've shown me clips of Jason X, and I'm like, this is fucking hilarious, and it's not trying to be hilarious. And then you've got movies like Cabin in the Woods where they're intentionally funny. This just... I don't think it had any idea what it wanted to be. It just wanted to exist. It needed to exist. It needed to exist. <laughs> so, um, Tom, would you like to go into some research about this movie, or should we go into the plot first? What, what do you want to do? I will jump into the quick recap of the history of these franchises. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Who's Freddy? Oh. Who's Jason? Who are these yes. people? Why should anybody care? These two franchises are classic 80s slashers that... Um, have stapled themselves in American pop culture, whether you love it or not. Yeah. Uh, the, this began, I would say, Friday the 13th came out in 1980, was directed by Sean S. Cunningham, written by Victor Miller, and that's where we get the beginning of this monstrous franchise and the boom in the slasher genre. A lot of people would tribute Halloween, which came out mm. in 78, but... I mean, that movie did spark interest, and it is, like, a staple of the slasher genre, but I think 
because Friday the 13th, and it's very clear as day, Sean Cunningham says it to this day, he was banking off the success of Halloween. Well, wasn't it like, um, and it's funny you mentioned Halloween, because when I was looking up Evil Dead, it also referenced how Evil Dead and Halloween were sort of the core creations of these slasher film tropes. Yes. It kind of yes. set the rule book for what mm-hmm. you do. Okay. Yeah, these two small independent projects that just grew. Like, I would say Halloween was a mainstream success and Evil Dead was more of a cult success right. until the last, like, 15 years when it gained, like, mainstream notoriety. But, yeah. And even and then, then, it's still not the same. No. Yeah. And so Friday the 13th, was Sean has Cunningham trying to make a quick buck, looking to make a new film. His family family friendly movie didn't do well, and he's like, "Let's just do Halloween, but in the woods." Oh, really? Jason, yeah, Jason Voorhees. Well, that's that's the interesting thing. Like, I'm not going to take anything away from the man. He loves what this franchise and this character has become. Mm-hmm. But he, whereas like everybody on the set of the original Friday 13th had this creative vision and a lot of fun and a lot of part, you know, we had Tom Savini on board and even the writer, Victor Miller telling this tragic story of a young boy. Cunningham was the one that was just like, I'm looking to make a book. (laughs) Right. Right. The director was the guy that said, let's do this as cheap as possible. Filming in New Jersey and just make money and, you know, peace. And I have seen the original Friday the 13th. And I yes. liked it. And I told you I liked it. The mm-hmm. the only scene I had an issue with was the spear going through Kevin Bacon's sternum because... Oh yeah, that is a very... That is a graphic scene. That shit is fucked up. Yeah, the great Tom Savini, the Italian horror artor. Yeah. Love him. Well, Italian-American, but still, you know. Mm-hmm. I like to wear that pride sometimes. <laughs> but... The funny thing is with the original Friday 13th, they had a name before they even had a concept. And uh, just to test the legal waters, Cunningham actually put an ad in the newspaper for Friday the 13th coming soon before they even had a script just to see if the name was already taken. Well, that's some real, you know, test audience. (laughs) Well, because the idea was they didn't know if they could use a name Mm -hmm. and they figure if they make an ad for it and nobody called complaining that they would just use the name. Now, Friday the 13th was an issue, like, that was a myth before Friday yes. the 13th movie, right? Yeah, that was the idea they wanted okay. to, they're like, what other holiday can we bank off of? Right, okay, because it's not exactly like, you know, if somebody made a movie called The Black Cat and it was just, like, a stream of horror movies, it's not like it made the Black Cat myth or anything like that. No, Okay, so I was no. curious about the Friday the yeah. 13th thing. No, the Friday 13th myth has existed before the movie. Okay. They just were like, what other holiday could we do? Spank on it. Yeah. All right. We're going to copy Michael Myers. We're going to copy the name. But Friday 13th ends up being like one of the big, not only, you know, biggest movies, but biggest franchises coming out of Paramount at that time mm-hmm. because it took so, it cost so little to make mm-hmm. and it banked so much. And the 80s just had this huge explosion. And Friday, thir- like, that's the thing. Most slashers rip off of Friday 13th. Even though Friday Thirteenth is a ripoff of Halloween, and you know what's funny too? I listened to uh, "How Did This Get Made" episode of Jason Ten, and it's one of my favorite episodes. Like they do it live, 
and Jason Mansukis keeps pretending to ask an Alexa that's not there, Alexa, what is Jason? Because, <laughs> like, of the, you know, staple Halloween serial killers, he's kind of ill-defined. Yes, yeah. and I will say, I get into debates because I love this franchise, but I recognize it's a goofy, fun B-movie and honestly, the continuity goes out the window after four. Yeah. There's really like it. The continuity is held on by strings of a thread. And the way I like to look at it is like, well, if these are campsite urban legends, of course, each iteration can be different. Mm. You know, like every evolution of a story changes. So I'm like, that's cool, because that would ex- that would allow me to ignore all the really weird <laughs> continuity errors right. that exist between movies. And then. The movie jumps ship from Paramount to New Line in the 90s, which that's another thing, but blah, 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 blah. I think that's why I wanted to give Cloverfield a pass on the movies not explaining themselves or the story any clearer, because you've got all of these staples that they just start to negate each other. Yeah. Yeah. And then a few years after 513th in 1984, we get from the brilliant Wes Craven rest his soul great I love him one of my favorite filmmakers mm-hmm. uh we get a nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. which this is like the midpoint of the 80s the ripoffs of Friday 13th are starting to run dry the the you know the homegrown real person slasher is kind of getting boring then all of a sudden here comes this movie that defeats all expectations and now takes this killer and gives him supernatural abilities. And now in your sleep, you're not even safe. Nope. Nope. No, and no. this this film, Wes Craven and Sean Cunningham had worked b- together before. Oh, they have? They Yes, they worked on The Last House on the Left. Oh, okay. So when I told my roommates that I was not happy with Freddy versus Jason, they had mentioned The Last House on the Left. Yeah, don't watch Last House on the Left. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, from all accounts, and from my reading of Wes Craven's life and um, who he was, he was, like, the nicest guy, and nobody had a bad word to say about him. Everybody loved him. So it was, like, people would say it's fascinating that, like, this, like, this saint of a human being comes up with some of the most horrifically disturbing ideas for film. I think that's usually the case, though. I mean, when I try to explain to people what I'm working on with my artwork, then they're usually really surprised. They're like, oh, okay, that's incredibly dark. And it's just like, I think it's just when you have this thing that you use as your outlet, that that's just where you put it. And you don't even realize that you're doing it. It's just where those feelings go. Yeah. yeah. No, I understand. So, Nightmare on Elm Street, which, the funny story, Wes Craven got the idea because he was reading a newspaper, and he read a story about how a group of kids, and I forgot what country, but there was a group of kids who mysteriously died, and it turned out that they were staying awake for long periods of time. They had, like, this intense paranoia and just wouldn't go to sleep, and they all died mysteriously. That sounds about right. The last time I pulled an all-nighter, I thought it would be a good idea to watch Cats. <laughs> the new, the, why? I, I watched the new one, because you know what? I was just like, what other mindset could I be in where this is close to appropriate? Oh. It still was, it was very bad. I don't know 
if Freddy vs. Jason was better? It's definitely different, but I wouldn't say one is better or worse than the other. I think Cats is more supernatural, maybe? Cats is weirdly cultish. Um, the logic in Freddy vs. Jason makes more sense. I agree. I yeah. agree. It makes much more sense. <laughs> okay, so these teenagers die from lack of yes, sleep. Yes, they, and that inspired Wes Craven to write this story. Now, Wes Craven would only do the first and Wes Craven's new nightmare, but the legacy of Freddy Krueger, like, was a huge staple of the 80s. And then into the 90s we go, and... Okay. Fun fact about Freddy vs. Jason. They've been trying to make this movie for a long fucking time. And it's also funny how um, two big careers were just blossoming during the first movies of these franchises. Yeah, you got Johnny Depp and you got Kevin Bacon. Yep. And so I would say by the... Because at this time, uh, Friday the 13th, rather, was under paramount pictures okay and paramount was always embarrassed of this franchise really yeah they were embarrassed about it like weirdly enough even though they kept making sequels they made a bunch of sequels but were legitimately like embarrassed by these movies and like i said by the late the mid 80s the slasher craze had started to dry up and they needed to do new things and even jason because he was in the first four movies he was just like this hillbilly guy like ultra violent <laughs> strong hillbilly man okay but then all of a sudden in like i think i want to say 85 or 86 comes part six and he's brought back as like a zombie monster man also where does the hockey mask come from did he even play hockey as a kid no actually that's a funny story okay the hockey mask gets introduced in part three because oh, really? yep, in part two, he has a pillow, uh, a potato sack on his head, which is, oh, okay. which is a cool look, but the film, but by the time they got to the third one, they're like, we don't want to stick with the potato sack because then people will confuse them for the other movie, uh, the town that Texas dreaded, Chainsaw? no, oh. the town that dreaded sundown, which also featured okay. a killer with a potato sack. I thought it was Texas Chainsaw Massacre where the person wore a potato sack. No, that's, um, my bad. That that mask is much more gruesome, but I won't tell you what it is. Don't quiz me on horror movies. I won't give you accurate answers. He wears a dead skin mask. Sure he does. Yep. Why not? So, part three, they went with the hockey mask because I forgot who, but one of the guys on working on set would bring his hockey equipment because he would go and play hockey afterwards. This is a typical New Jersey people. Sure, sure. And... They were just like, oh, this looks kind of cool. And that's how it happened. Okay. Yeah, there's actually like a scene where like he abandons the potato sack and he goes, oh, a hockey mask. I'll wear this now. You know what? I didn't make this connection when you wore your hockey jersey when we watched the movie. Yes. But I was just like, because you just you're wearing it and you're like, "Ooh, should I like hockey now? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Hockey jerseys are great. Hockey's a great sport. And I totally just didn't make the connection that Jason wears a hockey mask awesome. and you had a hockey jersey on. So that just hit me now. I love that hockey jersey. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to buy more hockey jerseys. You're just going to get into different hockey jerseys now? Yes. 
Yeah. It compliments me. <laughs> but, all right, so these two franchises are going strong at their peak, and the conversation starts to happen like, hey, you know, because they see the numbers. They know, like, even though these movies are still doing well in the mid-'80s, the the trend is starting to die out. Okay. And they're like, what do we do to get the audience interested? And that's when the idea started to come about. Like, why don't we introduce Freddy and Jason and have them fight? Which wasn't new to cinema. Like, we've had crossovers before. Like, Universal did it with the Universal Monsters, and those were a success. Right. Uh, we All of the Toho Godzilla movies were all about yes. crossovers. But in other than that, crossovers were not, like, they never, they just didn't really happen. Yeah, this wasn't really a thing that happened. No. Until Marvel. And that was, like, the whole plan for Marvel. Yes. Yeah. And so I would say I think part six and part, part six of Friday 13th, this conversation started to happen. They're like, oh, how do we introduce these two characters? But remind you, these were two different studios. Uh Mm. Nightmare on Elm Street was under New Line Cinema, which would eventually be a part of Time Warner. And matter of fact, Nightmare on Elm Street is the movie that saved New Line Cinema. It was their big success that like further developed. Yeah. Like whereas Paramount was embarrassed of Friday the 13th despite being a cash cow. Nightmare uh, New Line Cinema was like, this movie's great. It saved our studio. That's so funny that for that studio of that Nightmare on Elm Street was their golden boy. And then for Paramount, Jason was just like, oh, he's just like our weird cousin who makes those yep. videos, but we have to invite him to the family holidays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would, there's even part, Friday 13, part seven was originally going to be, I think, and it's like early, early pre-production. Like the idea was Freddy vs. Jason. Okay. But the studios could not agree. So eventually they ditched it and then they're like, well, we still want to, you know, make a marketable movie. Mm-hmm. So they're like, all right, Jason versus Carrie. Oh, what? The Stephen King movie. What? Why? Carrie, yeah. But like Carrie isn't necessarily a serial killer in the sense that she just wants to slash people. No. She was wronged. Well, that's the thing. It wouldn't have been like two slashers. The idea was like two supernatural entities. Ugh, that's so annoying, though. But that didn't work out. The that the legal reasons that didn't work out either. So they scrapped Carrie and just introduced a new character with psychic abilities. It's one of my favorite Friday the Thirteenth. Friday Thirteenth Part Seven: The New Blood. Oh, you've mentioned this. I love this movie, and it's also the first movie to feature Kane Hodder. Who that we're gonna get into that controversy when it comes to Freddy vs. Jason because it's a big contention among fans. Kane Hodder picked up the role in Part Seven and would play him all the way until just before Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, okay. He wasn't in Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah. I didn't know that this was hot tea to be spilled in the horror world. There's so much hot tea. There's so much hot tea. Yes, but <laughs> so. The idea has been there, but eventually when part seven doesn't do well, and then the next one, Jason takes Manhattan, which is objectively the worst one. It's objectively the worst one. I'm going to say it now. I just pictured a crossover with Muppets take Manhattan. (laughs) And I just pictured like the Muppets like going into Manhattan and then there's Jason, but also now Jason looks like a Jim Hansen puppet. 
Yeah. So that's the crossover I need. Muppets. So part eight does poorly. Well, like poorly, you know, it just, it wasn't making the numbers the series had been making. So Paramount sells their cash cow. And what studio would buy that mm, cash cow? Okay. New okay. Line Cinema. I get it. I see what you did there, New Line. Mm-hmm. And Sean Cunningham, the original director, and I, there's a weird legal battle between the writer Victor Miller and Cunningham over the characters. More so tea, I, please. So much tea when it comes to this. Victor Miller sued for ownership of the characters, but the characters belong to Cunningham. So it, like, weirdly enough... Victor Miller owns the rights to the name, maybe? I don't know. Oh, that it's sucks. so confusing. Yeah, it's like the trademark versus the image. Yes. Mm. So when it gets to New Line Cinema, in the, we're in the 90s now. Okay. The slasher craze has died. And right. the 90s is all about independent cinema. No more mystical, obscene nonsense. We're all about indie movies now. We want to know what Robert Rodriguez, Kevin Smith, and Tarantino are all fucking doing. Right. And then also in the 90s, you have the big meta horror movie, which at the time was not even considered its own franchise, which was Scream. That, oh, that's another story. Because that's yeah. Wes Craven also. Right, 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 right. True, true, true. You're right. You know these yes. things. Not me. I'm just saying no, words. <laughs> no, it works because it, it's good to tie in. Okay. I did that on purpose. I know. <laughs> but um, in the 90s, New Line makes Jason Goes to Hell the final Friday. Okay. Uh, they can't say Friday 13th for legal reasons, so they go with Jason Goes to Hell. And Wes Craven had made... He came back to Nightmare on Elm Street to make Wes Craven's do Nightmare, which was a meta horror movie about how Freddy came into the real world to haunt the original actors from the first movie. Oh, okay. Which... You can see where Wes Craven's starting to think about meta horror and would a few years later do Scream. Right. So he's clearly working on the idea. Yeah. Okay. And New Line is like, all right, so now we have both franchises. Let's do this. So New Nightmare comes out, doesn't do well, but horror fans love it. I love it. It's a great movie. It's actually a fun movie. And Freddy is more demonic, but not as creepy, uncomfortable as he is in Freddy Rose Jason. I'll say that with confidence. Okay. I will take your word for it. But the big revelation is that at the end of Jason Goes to Hell, which I made you watch this, and yeah, I remember you going, I don't understand why you made me watch this. Yeah, it was just so funny, because I was like, okay, let's watch the movie. And you were like, wait, I have something to show you. And I was like, I just want to watch the fucking movie. Because it all ties together. And that's right. why horror fans got so excited. Because at the end of Jason Goes to Hell, and this was not a twist that was advertised like fans did not know this was going to happen at the very end of the movie jason is defeated his mask is on the ground you know nice music plays sand blows over the mask and then a freddy krueger claw jumps out of the ground grabs the mask and pulls it into hell and freddy krueger does his laugh Mm -hmm. theme song plays and everyone's like whoa we're gonna get a freddy versus jason we're gonna get a freddy versus jason they're shooketh and Despite the 90s not being a very big era for horror. I mean, there were some great horror movies, but it wasn't like the 80s where it was just like everywhere. It wasn't as pop culture until, like you said, we get to Scream Mm -hmm. and then the Blair Witch Project. Right. But there was still enough excitement. Like, holy shit. Like a crossover. Like the idea of a crossover. People loved it. Like, holy shit. And they were so excited. And the studio was so ready. 
but they took like 10 years to actually do it. <laughs> it's so sad when you get so excited for something that you know is coming and they spend so long, they spend aching amounts of time working on the thing. So you think that that'll make it better. And then it finally comes out. You're like, oh shit, it's finally here. And then it sucks. Because there's so much tea. I got to spill the tea. Yeah, yeah. Oh, also, I do want to add uh, yes. before you continue that um, I want our negative five followers to know that before we planned on watching Freddy vs. Jason, you wanted me to sit down for multiple horror movies just to lead up to this episode. And I said, I no. I wanted to sort of recreate the, like, anticipation of seeing these two characters. And in a way, like, yeah, that would have been too much. I don't want to make you watch all those movies. But I think this movie does kind of do Freddy bad. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Like, if you had watched part three, or part two even, the greatest gay horror film ever made... <laughs> Um, I think you'd have a better idea and be like, oh, this it's weird that they did it this way. Because it really is, there is tea to be spilt about why Freddy is the way he is. It still was weird, which is why I made my comment that um, this became like a, Freddy versus Jason became a real George versus Lenny situation from Of Mice and Men. And I didn't know if Jason was like that in general, but they made him... Uh, very sluggish and just kind of big and oaf-like and I was just like okay I don't really get why yeah, he's portrayed this way that is that's part of the tea yeah, yeah so okay. much tea to be spilled okay. I just wanted to share that <laughs> as we continue into this episode but please continue so like I said it took like 10 years we wouldn't see Frey vs. Jason until 2003 I think it's August of 2003. Yes, they wanted it to be a summer blockbuster. and I do remember it coming out in the summer. Yeah, and they New Line spent a lot of money commissioning several different scripts for this fucking movie. Some that would include... Um, they re like retconned the, the, the story where they're like, oh, in one version, they had uh, Freddy Krueger was the camp counsel that drowned Jason. Or like, mm. oh, well, Betsy Palmer this and that like different just different ideas or like oh the nancy was in camp crystal lake when she was a little girl which nancy's the girl from the first thing right Street. right i think and, i would have preferred that yeah, yeah things just kept batting around until we get the script from what's his name we have damian shannon and mark swift who came up with the convenient concept that freddie is killed Nobody remembers Freddy, and in order for Freddy to come back, he needs to create fear, so he resurrects a dead Jason to do his bidding, but Jason doesn't stop. It's the unstoppable force versus an immovable object. And I think that is a cool idea, and I think that's one of the criticisms I have on this rewatch, is that there's a kind of cool ideas and like a deeper weird conspiracy about how the town is like hiding kids who remember Freddy to protect the town. Right. Like that's that's another weird conflict. Like that's a really dark concept to be cheaply done by like poor acting and like goofy moments of like nothing. That's the thing is I that was the concept that I picked up on too was this idea of we don't tell our kids things to protect them but actually 
are we still just harming them or are we just allowing them to make the same mistakes that we did? Yeah. And that is kind of underlying a little bit, but then you've got Freddy as a fucking caterpillar yeah. and you just sort of forget any good concepts and themes that could be coming your way. Yeah. Cause I would say like, and that's one of the, one of the stronger aspects of the nightmare series, like part three is one of the more notable ones where, you have a group of kids institutionalized. They have to band together. And it's like there's always this theme of the generation paying the price or the consequence of their previous generation. Right. And that's a fun concept and a cool concept to explore. It wasn't done very well in this movie. No. And we, by the time this movie actually kicks into production, um, there's a director selected, Ronnie Yu. He's known for, his, for Hong Kong cinema. Mm-hmm. I think he had done, like, Bride of Chucky before this. Like, that was oh. his first American movie. And he, his background is that, like, he did a lot of action movies and he was a big fan of comic books. Okay. So they select him for the project. He had not seen any of the movies. I think that's what it is. It feels oddly comic book-like. Yeah. But there's nothing else to it. Yes. So, and it's like... He comes on, he works with the New Line execs, and I had mentioned previously that Kane Hodder, who became a fan favorite, his depiction of Jason was much more, he had this presence about him. Like, if I were to show you Part 7 or anything Kane Hodder had done, his performance is very physical. He has this, like, he has this larger-than-life performance where he has this, like, very intimidating figure. He's, like, a very deliberate, very effective machine and he has this like breathing technique where like even in jason x you see it like the shoulders are struck the chest is beating and you know that this thing is not to fuck around with not like he'd accidentally kill some puppies yes not like he'd accidentally kill some puppies. got it got it okay and freddy krueger uh actor robert england yeah sorry Robert England and Kane Hodder had become friends and they like oh, that was cute. their thing. They were like, we're going to battle each other in Freddy vs. Jason. But then the studio and the director decided not to go with Kane Hodder. Oh, because in this version, like I said, they really try to play Jason as the sympathetic like character. It's so disappointing when you get excited to work with your friend and then it doesn't happen. And instead they went with Ken Kurzinger, mm-hmm. who had done a stunt double for jason in a previous movie okay ken is i think the same height as kane honor but he's slimmer so they're like oh we want someone who will tower over freddy but it's like yeah but they're the same height right (laughs) so they went with him and i i even noticed it this time around jason looks and behaves kind of like a frankenstein monster yes he's more of like this aloof sad like yes in like everything that he's doing is like of negative consequence because of what happened to him yeah whereas previous jasons are like no this is a machine like this is a monster right there's a ruthlessness in the people who portrayed jason before him yeah and then this jason it just seems like okay well here i am there's a bunch of teens in the cornfield i'm gonna slay them and then that's it yeah yeah Oh, I won't lie. That scene's kind of awesome. That scene is so silly. It is, but it's so cool. 
I want to have a party Wait. in a cornfield. Well, yeah, I was going to say, what when you say it's so cool, what do you mean? What part of it is cool and why? I love it because it's just this... It's short, you're right. But like when Jason's on fire and he's just like on this killing spree and it's just this goofy montage of just absurdity. Uh-huh. It's just, it's just fun. There was nothing fun about it. Also, I Fat Bully Man it. dies. Fat Bully Man dies. Fat bully Jockey man dies. Bully Man has his head turned around. Oh, God. Yeah, that was Jason's bad. on fire. Yeah. That was a real man on fire. Yes. No, it definitely looked like a real man on fire. Um, stunts are scary. Yeah. they. That's where these two actors, uh, Kane Hodder, who was the previous Jason, and Ken Kerr, they're both stuntmen. So, like, that was the kind of cool thing about Jason in the previous movies was that the physical abuse they put Jason under was tremendous. Mm, okay. There are many a stories of like, there's no way any other man should have survived this stunt, but they did. I was thinking that about Cloverfield because um, I don't. One of the things we didn't talk about with it was that when they were shooting the Brooklyn Bridge scene, they had stunt copy uh, stunt people who were just on a series of angled wires, and then they would just click a button and shoot them up in that direction or that direction and the person who had who were attached to the wires never knew which direction they were going in and i was like this is the stunt that kills people yeah this is the kind of shit that people die from so i don't know i just think it's amazing what some people can do because it's very scary yeah yeah but now we're at freddy vs jason it's 2003 we're in middle school i'm being introduced to these new franchises and then all of a sudden they're gonna be together in a film and i'm like what the fuck yeah meanwhile i was being introduced to paxon and converse sneakers and something corporate that's it (laughs) yes i was just i don't know i was listening i think i was like reading young adult novels about mythological beings at the time or something that's fair and this movie I enjoyed it, but I will tell you, it's not a great movie. No. It's fun. I liked it, but I think I want to toss to you. Okay. Because I think your takeaway and your first time perspective is a really good one. Thanks. And we can talk about the issues this movie has thematically. That it, I feel it doesn't commit to any of the themes and doesn't commit to being truly absurdist, but also doesn't commit to some cool ideas that introduced in previous Nightmare on Elm Street movies. So, Courtney, take it away. Give us your impressions. Okay. Well, oh, where do I begin? <laughs> um, I feel like it wanted to strive for something, but it was afraid of losing fans in different avenues, so they thought if they could just stick to the middle-of-the-road plot that didn't go completely silly or go completely serious and scary that they could just get everybody into it and they didn't get me into it at all they got nobody into it i mean people watched it but i wouldn't say that people enjoyed it um i just felt like the well first of all like when we watched that video earlier today about the plot of freddy versus jason i thought it brought up a good point which was that this was really just Jason being brought into a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. 
Oh, absolutely. And this is more a Nightmare on Elm Street movie than it is a Friday 13th movie. Right. And the fact that um, New Line Cinema got the rights to Jason, that makes complete sense to me because home field advantage, you know, Freddy is what they're more comfortable with. Um, they just, like, introduce you to teenagers who look like they're old enough to get their PhDs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're actually going to be defending their dissertations next week. That's how old they look to me. Um, and then all of a sudden, oh, surprise, there are more teens that you should be worried about. They're in a mental institution. Oh, by the way, they just got out of the mental institution, and now they're just walking around the high school like everything's fine. And one of them, sweet baby Jason Ritter, who I do love dearly, he should be That's protected right. at all costs. Played by, he plays uh, Will Rollins. Yes. Uh, none of their names matter to me. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, I don't, until we rewatched it and I looked at the cast list, I don't remember a single person's name except for Lori. Because I used to think that was a reference to Halloween, mm. but it's spelled completely different. I think it would have been interesting if she was, like, a niece of Nancy's. That, yeah, make it more connected to the universe. Yeah, because other than that, I have zero connection to any of these teenagers, Kelly Rowland is in it, and by God, that poor woman. Yeah, I know, and you're going to be more upset because I have more tea about the behind the scenes, no. and she's a part of it. What is it? Well, there's a lot of tea to be had. Um, I will I will start with Catherine Isabel, who I love. She yes. plays Gib. She's great. She gives, she gives a good performance. Yeah. We believe her. She's the only one actually crying. She's from... Ginger Snaps, which we covered in our first episode. Yes. And I love Ginger Snaps. And she got picked for the role because Robert Englund, who played Freddy Krueger, saw Ginger Snaps and was so, like, impressed with her performance. He's like, we need her in this movie. Yeah, totally. But then there was drama on set because her part of her negotiation and contract is that she doesn't do nudes. Oh, but she did show her boobs. That's the thing. Oh my god, he, she, I forgot how many boobs we saw in this movie. There's so many boobs. So many. But an unreasonable amount of boobs. I wasn't prepared to sit down for that many boobies. I remember saying to you while we're watching, I'm like, you know, cinema has changed in the last 10 years because I don't remember the last time I watched a movie and in the first two minutes, there's just boobs everywhere. They're just sacks of yellow fat. I don't know what the big deal is about them. They don't look very real in the movie either. Like, I'm not trying to discredit or say anything negative towards anybody, but I think it was very much of the odds to have a particular set of booby looks. Yeah. Okay, so Catherine Isabel at this point does not want to do nudes, but clearly no. in the movie she does end up doing half. Well, what happens is Ronnie Yu, the director, was getting to constant fights with her about doing the nude scene. Yeah, poor Catherine Isabel. Yeah, this man, and this man, I don't want to shit on this man. I don't want to shit on Ronnie Yu. But, like, so far from my research and talking about this movie, it's very clear the vision doesn't align with, like you said, like, it's so middle of the road. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's not committing to any of the themes introduced in previous films. And it's not committing to the true absurdity of what it should have been. Like, that's the thing. If you're going to be a dumb fight movie i think your proposal was best it's like i thought we just get thrown in and they fight for most of the movie right i thought it was just gonna be that let's say the kids 
all decide to hook up at a cabin that happens to be at Crystal Lake. I thought that that's what just happened. Like, I thought if anything, there, sure, there would be teenagers there. There would be teenagers present in the film. But I thought it would be like, they're going to spend the movie fighting over who gets to kill them. Meanwhile, the teenagers try to escape on their own. Yeah, that that's made, a fairly simple plot. Yeah, I that think made more also, sense to me. I think that's always something that bothered me too, because I actually watched Freddy vs. Jason, and then I watched all the Friday the 13th movies. Okay. And I always was kind of disappointed that, because the setting of Camp Crystal Lake, even though it looks different in every movie. Right. It's still a cool, like, it's a it's an escapist, like, summer camp fantasy. And it, to me, it just struck more. Mm-hmm. Like, so to have Jason not in Camp Crystal Lake just felt weird. It was like, oh, okay. Right. And, okay, so Catherine, Isabel, and Ronnie, you are fighting over these newts. Yes. Right? So what happens is they actually got a body double for her. Oh, Okay. They got a body double, but there was still contention despite that. And that's totally fair. And I think it's a good thing now that there's more accountability and that you can negotiate these things. Because there are people like it's nudity in movie is a fine thing. It's just a matter of like, you can't pressure someone to do it. Especially when like, yeah, also consent consent. Also, there's usually... We expect more from it. It's like, what? okay, what scenario do we see somebody nude? Also, you know? the idea that, like, once we receive consent, we look at it very objectively in black and white, whereas, like, consent is actually, you know, it can be interchanged at any moment. People seem to yeah. forget that. Um, it's like with um, the actress who played Daenerys on Game of Thrones. She showed her naked body for a few, one or two seasons, or however many it is, and then she decided she didn't want to do it anymore. And then fans are like, oh, what the hell is that about? Screw you. She can do whatever she wants. She's a human being. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, I love Catherine Isabella. Right. But that's that's tea. And then the next tea is that um, Kelly... Sorry, why am I drawing a blank now? Kelly Rowland. Sorry, yeah. Kelly Rowland. She was casted because... And this is true. This comes from the casting director. The studio execs, mind you, the same studio execs who, with Ronnie Yu, decided to abandon fan favorite Kane Hodder and favorite force, more sympathetic, Frankenstein-looking Jason. Uh, they also said, because this is also another prominent thing about the aughts, movie studios were realizing the financial incentive to expanding their markets, which on paper sounds nice, but it's kind of exploited when you realize that they're specifically going after certain demographics of people. I know where this is get. going. So studios were realizing the power of marketing towards, you know, the hip hop and the black community. Mm-hmm. Their specific reason she was picked was because casting director said the studio wanted to market towards a more urban hip hop community. And she was the only person we casted that didn't suck at acting. God bless Kelly Rowland for putting up with this. Because, like, her whole character is just... What they gave her to work with was a total nightmare. Yeah. Not pun intended. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, we already have a cast of characters. Like, I I will say Gib, you know, Catherine Isabella, her character had the most, dy- you know, had more dynamic personality than the rest. 
Yeah. Uh, this this will be an, a debate I'm sure lots of fans would have. I do not care for the main character, Lori. I thought she was pointless. Uh, I don't want to necessarily attack the actress, but right. at the same time, I'm just kind of like, what What was the performance here? Who do you think is more useless or less useful? Um, Lori in this movie, Freddy vs. Jason, or okay. Rooney Mara's Nancy Thompson in the most recent Nightmare on Elm Street? That movie's just useless in, in, on a whole. Fair. Fair. That movie, like Nancy and the, I love the original Nancy. Right. Played by Heather Langenkamp. Okay. I always get the last name wrong, but like, I love that character so much. And the remake is such a bad, atrocious movie. The remake to Friday 13th is at least just another Friday 13th. Okay. It's no better. It's no worse. Right. It's just a Friday 13th movie. But the, the Nightmare remake is, uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe... Maybe new Nancy is more useless. Oh, okay. Interesting. But she's more, she's more use. No, no. Actually, you know what? Lori is more useless. Okay. But Nancy's more eye-rollingly annoying. Okay, fair. That's, that's what I think. Because I think that Nancy, from what I saw from the most recent one, like, Nancy, the whole time, they just wanted it to be, like, dark and gloomy. So it just made her seem very sleepy and i don't mean that she's actually sleepy because she's tired because she can't sleep i just mean the whole portrayal is very sleepy and dull but at least she had ideas Lori, i feel like is just sitting there and is like oh water and fire are elements and it's like yeah can you pay attention please (laughs) yeah i love that remember that remember that bit i love this segment remember that bit yeah do you remember that bit but they're all sitting around planning what to do. And Cop Man from Riverdale's there. And all the characters are there. And they're all, like, actually proposing, like, ideas. Right. And then she's, like, sitting on the couch. She goes, Jason drowned and Freddy was burned. Maybe we can use that. It's like, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. They, they were all better off without her. She, she delivers. She gives nothing. She provides nothing. I don't know why everybody's concerned about her. Also, like, her boyfriend disappears for three years, and as soon as they see each other, there are no questions. There's no, like, weird tension of, like, oh, I had to get over you because you just disappeared, or, like, oh, my God, I thought you were dead. It's just like, oh, my boyfriend's here. Oh, my God, thank goodness. It's like, wait, hold on a second. Yeah. Also, the boyfriend she had at 14. Yeah. If, like, my boyfriend from 14... Just like magically appeared, I'd be like, "Please go." We were yeah, fourteen. Yeah, there's nothing. Oh, also, do you remember that bit where Will's friend—I forget his name—the creepy red-haired kid? No, remind me. Is his name? What's his name? Oh, Charlie? the one. <laughs> <laughs> remember the bit where he spends like ten minutes explaining how. Freddy gets his power from being remembered and feared. Yeah. So he's like, we have to make sure that we stop it now. So he goes into the school and just starts saying Freddy's name over and over again. Yeah, and he's scaring everyone. And it's like... One, two, Freddy's coming for Yeah, like, it just... Everybody's going about their high school day, except for these teens where, like, somebody has been murdered. But... Then all of a sudden, this guy just comes up to them and is starting to 
repeat this weird, creepy rhyme. And then he and then he yeah. like gets in her face. He goes, she's he's like she's like that's how he gets you. He gets you in your sleep. It's like oh that's helping. Yeah, and then he's like oh no I scared her. I brought him back. And it's like yeah you dumb shit. You did that. <laughs> it, was, it was all his fault. It was all his fault. The thing that I liked about it though, like the thing that I was hoping that they were going to go into more, which they do in a stupid way that I wasn't too crazy about, was the first time. Freddie tries to go for Charlie and it's like his shadow reaches from the road and tries to attack him and it doesn't work. I was like, ooh, this is playing on that like surreal dreamlike element that I could get really into because I love that. Yeah. And then once they finally get to it at the end of the movie, it's basically Toontown in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which yeah. just frustrated me at that point. Oh, I also... uh. This this is going to be funny. I'm going to leave this in. Right. Charlie is the virgin nerdy kid who ends up kissing Kelly Rowland. Oh, that's Charlie. I don't remember the friend that's like scaring everybody. He's the one who gets burned. Yeah. Yeah, his name could be Orlando Baylor for all we know. It's might as well. Might as well Was be. it Trey? <laughs> that's such an odd name. Like, I feel like it's there's always a tray. tray in a movie, but there is no tray in real life. Nobody knows a tray in real life. Why can't I remember? Maybe he scrubbed himself from the internet. Oh, Mark? Mark. Sure. His name was Mark. I believe you. Oh, yeah. His name was Mark, played by Brandon Fletcher. But I liked I liked the guy who plays Charlie. I, I mentioned when we watched it, when we were watching it that he's in Barry and he has such a good role in Barry and I really like that show. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned it before that it felt comic booky and I can definitely see that with like Ronnie's perspective like okay, let's make this like a comic book fight like, you know, like superheroes meeting up and fighting or fighting the villains. And there's certain elements of that I do like, but it's so drastically not aligned with either franchise. Right, and there are moments that I was looking forward to that. Like, I was looking forward to kind of like a Spider-Man, Green Goblin kind of fight. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. But that's not what you get. You get, like, a Three Stooges kind of situation. Yeah. Like, I can say on this rewatch, for me personally, Mm -hmm. I had fun, and I enjoyed the two fighting. Because it is this battle at the end, and it, but but I think, and it's fair to criticize because getting through everything else requires so much dedication and patience and, and patience, and that varies from person to person. And I can see where this is an issue because if you're even if you're like a fan of both franchises and you watch this movie, you got to get through a lot of weird like, what is going on. Mm -hmm. you know and for i know for a lot of horror fans there are some that don't mind at all like we have friends who are like yeah they have a big battle at the end but like hearing these and talking about these issues i think it's fair to say like there's just a failure of execution to commit to the themes right because then by the time we get to the battle it even though i really love watching the battle there isn't a significant payoff. Like, I don't particularly care what happens either way. Right. So for me, I was looking forward to some really intense choreography. And the only thing that I thought was interesting was when 
Jason um, pulls Freddy throughout the entire windows of the one cabin. That oh, was that the was only cool. yeah. That was the only thing that I was really like, oh, that's pretty cool. Do you but, remember the bit where Freddy fires the cast canisters like torpedoes? so silly <laughs> do you remember the bit where freddy has the upper hand in the fight after the torpedoes and then he just falls and then <laughs> he's just the hanging there <laughs> oh my god uh, do you remember the bit where freddy appears as a caterpillar i remember that bit smokes with discount j <laughs> yes smokes with discount j yeah that's another thing, element, too, we talk about, like, there is this uncomfortable fact that this town is hiding away kids who remember Freddy, and there's, like, these comatose children who, no matter how much drugs they give them, can't stop dreaming, so they put, like, they're in a coma. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you introduce this creepy element and not resolve it? Yeah, that should have been the focus of the movie at the yeah. end and if anything what this movie should have done in a more critical lens was that and maybe this is a troop trope that's already been done in more modern horror movies but the idea that the more the townsfolk try to protect the children the more they are actually monsters themselves yeah like how well, far will they go to protect humanity that they stop being human yeah, well, that's even a premise in the first movie. Like, right. the fact that the town killed Freddy Krueger on their own accord. Right. And have covered him up and lied to their children, and now the children are paying the price for what the parents did. Right, and it's also on the idea that you can only try so hard to protect your children from trauma before they just start to express the physical and emotional and mental responses that come with trauma. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And because that's a, that would have been, because that's an element of more critical thinking that the film doesn't commit to. Right. And then on the other side, if we just, if they went more absurdist, more caterpillars, we only get like the battle at the end. Whereas if they want to just play an absurd movie, make that most of the movie, like, what is more fun, I think, is the thought about how do you pair two cinematic characters together? Mm-hmm. Like, I've had these conversations with coworkers, like hypothetical scenarios of where you would put two fictional characters in the same room. And yes. I think something that would have maybe suited my taste more is maybe, like you said, have a character related to the original Elm Street kids. Maybe it's Nancy's nephew or or somebody just related to the original kids. Yeah. Who's been on this drug hypnosil, who experiences something and goes on a vacation with their friends and they go to a campsite in New Jersey and that's when they encounter Jason. But because it's an Elm Street kid who then lose, let's say like they have. Right, they forget the prescription. Yeah. And now Freddie is introduced and he's getting pissed off because as he's trying to do his thing, Jason's still in the kill. And then most of the movie is just a battle. Right. That's what I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And that fixes my problem where I wish this movie was more about Camp Crystal Lake. I wanted more fights. Yes. Yeah. What would be your hypothetical scenario where they get put together? Like a different scenario from what we got. I think we should just make it completely absurd and just make it a really solid fight. So like even 
Um, <laughs> even like Jason X, when they're in space, it's like, oh, well, um, they took care of Freddy on land, but they didn't take care of Freddy in space. You can still dream in space. <laughs> you can still dream in space. The um, leprechaun went to space too. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. there you go. Um, but I, I think, I know, I was trying to think of alternative movie plots for this. Um, or just, like, they're fighting the entire time, and it's never really clear, like, why they're fighting. Like, maybe they do find themselves in the same place, and they need to sort of fight for their territory and the townspeople that they want to kill, but then they find out that they were both in hell the entire time. That would have been cool. Right? Because Jason already went to hell. That was the whole point of the one movie. Yep. So they might as well just make it the entire movie. And there was an interesting, uh, an an original concept in the script that got ditched because they couldn't seal the deal. Mm -hmm. At the end of the movie, the fight would have continued in hell. And Pinhead would have appeared. And it was going to play on the idea that there is more of this hell element to it. But that got... That got scrapped because whoever, I don't even know who, but whoever owns the rights to the Hellraiser franchise didn't want to do it and said, our movie's too good for that. Uh, I'll let you know that Hellraiser has been in a rut. Most of the movies are garbage and they've only been releasing straight to video for a few years now. Yes. Yeah. I don't think I need to see any Hellraiser movies. So I don't understand how Freddy vs. Jason was not good enough for Hellraiser, especially, especially by 2003. Yeah. Hellraiser was a joke by this point. Yeah. Hellraiser thought it was too elite. Yep. Um, also, I think part of the problem with it, too, like, once they finally fight, it's, like, it's so far into the movie. I kind yes. of I kind of pulled a Nick Satellino rant at this point. <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah, because <laughs> the same way our, our darling engaged friend Nick um, was ranting about Hot Rod in my childhood home, we finally get to the fight, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, how much of this movie have we watched? And it was, like, well into an hour before any of the fighting between them actually started. And at this point, I don't care about the characters. I don't care if they survive. And at this point, also, like, you kind of know Jason and Freddy are just gonna keep living their lives. Yeah. I thought that at the beginning of the movie, maybe one of them will actually destroy the other one. And then into that hour, I was like, no, they're gonna be fine. They're probably gonna go see a movie later themselves. Yeah. So I just didn't care. And then at the end, nothing is resolved. No. No. And Lori and her boyfriend, Will, we expect they live happily ever after or they live exactly the same because no conflict was resolved. She, Lori is one of those characters in a, a period piece where something dramatic is happening and then she just faints. But then she yeah. has nothing else in the entire plot of the period piece. Um, Characters who died had more to do. Totally. Like Kelly Rowland put up more of a fight and did something. Yeah, and her haircut was so odd. It was so great. Yeah. And then Catherine Isabel, her character was the only one that cried. Like when her friends were dead, she actually like put on a performance. Yeah, she's just a good and, actress. And her struggle as like this teen girl hanging out at these parties, dating abusive douchebags. 
Yeah. Like, there's more of a story there. And she gets murdered. She but gets... Lori gets to live? Yeah. The most boring character? It's so bad. I think that's what they did. They were just like, oh, she's the protagonist. That's a personality. Yeah, who knew protagonist was a personality? Yeah. And I don't know. What else is there about this movie? Um, I could comment on another thing was I really like, again, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. Okay. The characterization of Freddy is very uncomfortable. Yeah. Let's talk about that. He is like, it is not a secret. He kills children. Like that was the concept in the original movie. He gets murdered by the, like he's a vile person. He's an evil entity and the townspeople kill him. But now he's haunting their teenagers dreams. Mm -hmm. And that is enough. You know, he's a creepy monster figure. He's scary. That is enough. Right. Over time, with saturation, people get used to the character. He becomes a pop culture icon. He the the scares are now desensitized. It's like, oh, there's funny Freddy, ha ha ha. Then we get to 2003, and their attempt to, and I would say maybe this is Ronnie Yu's like vision of the movie because he, like I said, he's only seen like the first movies of each of them after he got picked to direct this movie. And his characterization's like, okay, Jason's the good guy and Freddy's the bad guy. So how do we make Freddy a bad guy again? Let's really dive into uncomfortable territory where yeah. in previous movies, you can he was killing teenagers and there's just an understanding that he's an awful person. This movie's like, let's make sure, let's make it very uncomfortable and show Freddy deliberately interfering with young children's lives. Yeah, um, so I thought that him being a pedophile was part of the original story. No. Okay. Well, like, it's more like, the idea is, he is a person that embodies the death of innocence and youth. Okay. So, like, they never get into specifics, but it was like, he was killing the town's children, so the town killed him, and now he's back. It's vague, but it's vague so that the movie can happen. Mm-hmm. But now that when you get into specifics and you're like, oh, no, like, because Freddy vs. Jason doesn't say pedophilia. Right. But it's very alluding to it. And then the remake is just like straight up like, oh, yeah, he's a pedophile. Right. And also, but with like Freddy versus Jason, they do make it very clear when he's like, your mouth says no, but my body says yes. And I was just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's so... Like, he says things like that. Like, in the original, there is that scene where Nancy picks up the phone and Johnny Depp, her boyfriend, is under attack. And she's trying to make sure he's okay. And through the phone, Freddie says, I'm your boyfriend now. Okay. And then his tongue comes out through the phone. And it's creepy, but I think there's an effectiveness to it to sell this vile character. Right. That just seems, it's like, deplorable to be deplorable. Yeah, yeah, whereas in this movie, it's like, there's clearly, like, a five-year-old girl on set. Yeah. And they're like, Robert England, go be creepy around this five-year-old girl. And it's like, oh, no. Yeah. Please don't. Yeah, and I think also, um, sexual trauma as an excuse for a revenge storyline 
is lazy storytelling. And oh, absolutely. I'm not just saying that for Freddy versus Jason because, like, I'm not surprised based on, like, all of the other uh, lazy writing that comes with this movie. But, I mean, you know, every female character other than, like, Arya in Game of Thrones is, like, goes through the same thing. And I think also just, like, and I, I told you this when we watched the movie... I'm never going to watch something like that and just be like, yeah, I'm just watching a movie where, like, it's not going to be the same thing as just, like, oh, somebody's getting murdered or, like, Jim Carrey put laxatives in Jeff Daniels' drink. Ha, ha, ha. Like, it's never just going to be something I can watch and then put away with yeah. anything else that happens in the movie. And it's yeah. never going to be something I'm fine with sitting through. I understand. Yeah. And I think going back to the... I think really where the Freddy characterization really upsets me is because the movie can't commit to either absurdity or serious. Right. So when you take a serious element like that and put it in a movie that's also got a CGI caterpillar man. Right. Like, that's probably why the effective creepiness of Freddy in the original works, because it's selling the idea that Nancy's going to fight back. She has agency. This is the youth taking back and fighting against you know, this problem. Mm -hmm. Freddy vs. Jason, it's let's introduce a really creepy concept, an uncomfortable real life world problem, mm -hmm. but then also make Jason do pinball machine sounds. Oh, yeah. Remember that bit? Yeah. They should have played Shake It to that. Yeah, shake, shake, but like that's shake, shake. that's the problem because yeah. I'm not saying you can't explore or introduce difficult concepts. It's just it doesn't feel like you're not. How am I supposed to enjoy myself and be like, this is dumb when it's like something very clearly serious is being addressed? That's exactly my problem with the movie is like the pinball noises would be really funny if that was just the tone of the entire movie. But then on the other half, they're like, like literally in one frame, you've got a CGI caterpillar smoking with the uh, discount J. And then the next scene, you've got a bunch of children in comas. Yeah, comatose children who through no fault of their own are put into this situation. Remember that bit when Lori's like, oh no, we have to save Jason. He's a little boy who's drowning. Oh my god, he's ugly. <laughs> you remember, <laughs> remember that bit? Oh man, that was a good bit. Or, you know what also would have been a good plot line? Because yes. clearly both Jason and Freddy have a vendetta against adults. Yes. Or I guess in Jason's case, it's more like, you know, high school, college, horny teens. The kids who neglected their responsibilities, yeah. Right, exactly. Adults who did the wrong thing and decided that their priorities were more important and they take things into their own hands for whatever reason. Yeah. I think that would have been a good reason for them to band together and then maybe they don't like the other person's approach and then they start to fight. Hmm... Because okay. I feel like there is sort of a weird in-between for both of them where, like, he's after the adults, so he wants to get the teens, but also Jason hates 
teenagers and college kids because they're the ones who neglected him as a kid. Yeah. We're exploring ideas, Courtney. Ideas that are not explored in the script. Yeah. <laughs> Send your scripts to us to make yes. them better. So I think we've talked a lot about the movie and I think to the next thing I could talk about is this movie was a smash hit when it came out. No, it wasn't. Yeah. No, it really? Made, mm-hmm. And for a budget of $25 million, it made over, I think, I don't know if this is to date or like when it came out, but it made $116 million. Okay, scratch everything I said about sending your scripts to us because I clearly don't know what I'm talking about. Well, it's also like this came out in a summer where there wasn't a lot of movies out. Mm. There wasn't a big horror movie out in a while. I think 28 Days Later came out a year before. But like horror in the early aughts was still struggling from the 90s drought of horror films. Like we had some classics like Scream, The Blair Witch Project, Candyman. We talk about this exact summer in an earlier episode. And I know we had established at that point what our Halloween episodes would be. And now I don't remember, like, everything you're saying is deja vu, but I don't remember which episode we discussed this in. Oh, well, what movie came out? Was Garden State 2003? It must have been something that we talked about that is very close to 2003. Yeah. So at this time, this movie just comes in and it's just a smash hit, but it is not critically received well. And a lot of the complaints, even among the horror community, are a lot of the complaints that we've been bringing up, like... Like, it's just not executing either true absurdity or not executing a serious idea or it's not bringing the characters back to their roots. And then, like, there was, like, to this day, like, I remember I went to a Monster Mania. And at the Monster Mania, they had a panel with all the original actors who played Jason. Ooh. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. And w- still, to this day, a girl stood up. She got to ask her question, and her question was, to Kane Hodder, how do you feel about being left out of Freddy vs. Jason? And then she looked at the actor who played Jason in Freddy vs. Jason, Ken, and said, I think she said something like, do you have any guilt for taking the role Jeez away from Louise. your friend? And what I'm a like, Karen Yo. question. Yeah, and it's like, they answered it fairly well. Like, Kane and Ken. Like, these are all really cool guys. Kane Hodder, I will say, like, I watched the documentary about him. Mm-hmm. He's a phenomenal dude. And he will, like, he does a lot of charity work. Because, like, he's a stuntman. And in his early careers, he did a stunt. And the stunt went wrong. And he burned, like, I think 80% of his body. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he just fell in love with playing this character. And he will still, to this day, do appearances and donate to cha- and like do a large amount of fundraisers for charities for kids with burns. I thought you were going to say he like shows up to children's hospitals as Jason. Maybe. <laughs> but he's like very he's such a sweet guy and yeah. I've met him at a Monster Mania. He's so nice. But they're all nice, Ken. They're all like watching this panel was such a fun experience cuz like in the fictional universe they're playing like a giant monster man that brutally murders people. But they're all so sweet. They love interacting with the fans. And they're just having a good time. And it's like, wow, you know? But that that tea in the horror community was still like... I remember, like, even when I saw the movie, 
and was talking to other horror fans about it. And as we get older, this movie constantly gets brought up and either shit on or praised. And there's always something about the drama that happened with it behind the scenes, whether it be the 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 cast, the director, the studio, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Yeah, I just, that seems like a very caring question. Yeah, I I was embarrassed. Yeah. Like, I, I shouted, I'm like, don't ask like, why, that question. Why would you bring that up? Like, why, like, we're all having a great time. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Ugh. Oh, my God. And then, um. Some people are like that. Like, you'll be with a group of people and maybe, like, two people dated and they don't really talk about it anymore. And then there's always that one person that's like, no, out of nowhere, just like, hey, remember when you two dated? And it's just like, what the fuck, man? Why do you gotta bring yeah. that up? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But then um, there is interesting legacy to this movie. And I think that despite this movie not getting a sequel, the idea and the success financially, at least, of this movie allowed studios to explore the idea of cross universes. Mm. And I think that's where you get because like after this, we had Alien vs. Predator. Right. And then eventually, like I can definitely say with confidence marvel was paying attention because this was also 2003 like we got what spider-man x-men in theaters Mm -hmm. they were all standalone movies but the idea had to like the fact that this movie did so well and there was this audience fascination like the movie's not good right but financially it did incredibly well because there's gonna be this fascination of crossing of two universes i do think that's partially also like what i was saying earlier about you know, nowadays, if a movie is bad, everybody knows it immediately, and it will immediately affect sales. Back in the day, I don't think that was the case, and I think also studios were willing to take chances on movies that had more conflicting, like, box office revenue. Yeah. Nowadays, they want to know that they're going to get a hit, and it better be a part of a bigger universe, Mm -hmm. because they want to bank on it like a stock yeah Yeah. i i do believe this movie did have an influence to help inspire the idea with marvel execs to be like you know what definitely introducing these characters in the same universe will work and it did and i mean even when it comes to warner brothers themselves they quite literally named a movie batman versus superman yeah. Yeah. You know, the complaints you have with this movie are the complaints I have with Freddy, with uh, Batman vs. Superman. Really? Because everyone talks about how awesome it is to watch them fight. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but by the time we get to that fight, I don't give a shit. I don't remember the part in Freddy vs. Jason where they both realize they have a mother named Martha. Martha. <laughs> Stupid movie. That, that's so dumb. That movie's uh, we're gonna get a lot of. We're losing half of our fans now because there are diehard fans of the Snyderverse. You know, you know what's funny? I don't know. I, I think I'm actually dating some. I think I think my partner is somebody who likes the. Well, he doesn't like. I have to preface this. He doesn't like Batman versus Superman. I don't know if he sat no. through Justice League, but he will defend Sucker Punch, which surprised me. Oh, that movie was bad. I think so too. We got into an argument about it. 
That movie's bad. I will defend Watchmen. I like Watchmen. That's one of my favorite graphic novels of all time. But Sucker Punch is objectively a bad movie, right? It, yeah, I'm with you. Okay. It's a bad movie. Just checking. <laughs> it's a bad movie. Just checking. I really, it's no good. It's no good. <laughs> Remember that bit when she fought the robot? <laughs> Remember when John Hamm shows up to give her a lobotomy? I remember that bit. The lobotomy bit. Bad movie. Great it's cast. Really bad. bad movie. Yeah. Yeah. So there I will say there I believe there is a legacy that this movie has left. And this movie's planned sequel, I think I told you this when we were watching it. Originally the plan for the sequel was the two murderers are gonna meet again, but the third opponent to be introduced would have been Ash from the Evil Dead. Oh yeah. Which I think yeah. that would have, with Sam Raimi's influence, that would have really committed to the absurd humor that would have made this a more special movie. Also, then we all would have easily had our hero. Yeah, that's the that's the problem is that this movie took two murderers and tried to sell us on a sympathetic one. Like, that's another thing, too. I, I sent you the video yesterday, mm-hmm. but I watched the Irish lad, Ryan, I forget his last name, Hollinger? Sure. He does he does really good breakdowns and his analysis of those movies that there is an interesting concept introduced where we get a little sympathy for Jason, but at the same time, without that commitment to the exploration of that theme, we just how are we supposed to sympathize with a big hulking man? Yeah. That with the swing of an unrealistically sized machete <laughs> destroys Kelly Rowland. Poor Kelly Rowland. She sang yeah. Survivor. She deserved better. Yeah. But um, I do think that was part of the problem, is that they thought that they should make one of them sympathetic. Like, you can't have... You can't change an entire character to make them more sympathetic. You should just have two anti-heroes. Yeah. Because I think in storytelling, you either have the hero that you root for, the anti-hero who you want to see them change and get better at the end or the anti-hero that you love so much that you want to see them succeed or you kind of want to see them fail because they're terrible people yeah those are the three i think that there are so i think they should have just gone for the last one they should have just let them be the anti-heroes that they are yeah and with the introduction of a character like ash Mm -hmm. you're right we now have a significant hero a charismatic hero who just by being with him, everyone else, like all these teenagers that he's protecting will automatically become cooler by the default ruling of Bruce Campbell is cool. There's good. There's bad. And he's the guy with the gun. <laughs> That's so, I love those movies. Good, bad. I'm the guy with the gun. So good. Uh, Bruce Campbell. Well, t- He's so cool. Right. And he's so old. And in our next episode, we don't necessarily talk about Bruce Campbell. I mean, he will come up. But the thing that we'll be covering that originally starred in Bruce Campbell, he will not be playing Ash in the episode we cover next. That is true. Yeah. So I want to kind of wrap this off with the soundtrack. Because this film has one of the coolest if not downright metal dorky soundtracks yeah. of all time yeah 
It um, if you're a kid or a teenager in the aughts who was a fan of metal, new metal, hardcore, this soundtrack was like we've got Mushroom Head, Hate Breed, Slipknot, Chimera, Typo Negative, Devil Driver, Stone Sour, Seether, Murder Dolls, Power Man Five Thousand, oh, Lamb of God. I like in Power Flames. Man Five Thousand. This Supplatora. Oh, Supplatora. Um, the title track for this movie, I believe, was How Can I Live by El Nino. which I still love that song. Like that song has a bad music video. Sure. But it is it is a it, it is the epitome of new metal in the early aughts where it's like the new metal band and their track suits with the dreadlocks all jamming out. Yeah, I was going to say like um white men in dreads shaking their heads and they have long sleeves on. Yep. Yeah. All it because it, new metal you can break it down to two fashion senses. You have new metal that's more aligned with like the track suits, the the grossness, the you know the the disturbing, the, the you know the, the Slipknot sort of appeal, and then you have the more hip hop side where you dress more like a hip hop musician, or you get like the Limp Bizkit look. Mm, insane clown posse. Il Nino was definitely falling along the lines of the tracksuit. Which is so strange. I don't know how that ever became like a trend in counterculture. Um, I'm looking up Il Nino now okay. to get an understanding of them. Like, founded by their drummer, Dave Sharari. Was there just a it, moment where new metal bands were like, screw you, Juicy Couture, we're going to take our tracksuits back? <laughs> there, There is a whole... Thing to talk about the fashion of new metal yeah because it is like even back then new metal was hated by like the metal elites mm. and there was this idea especially when you look at things like the slipknot fans and more of like the tracksuit sort of looking not is it tracksuit the right term or like yeah yeah totally yeah, yeah yeah so like that look of like the down and out like weird kid is it and just, just embracing like, it yeah are they the kids in the gym class who wouldn't go exercise is that what it's supposed oh, yeah. to be a hundred percent and this that did did i send you this video yes the, you did how, i love this it's so bad it already has slipped my mind it is it's about a really hot girl walking down a street that's elm street and she's running from something, sure. but we don't know what it is. We never see it. And the band does a whole bunch of weird, trippy CGI things like singing in a dirty bedroom. Yep. Singing on the wall of a dirty bedroom. Uh, looking at the hot girl. Yep. Uh, the lyrics, I think, relate to the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, but I don't. Have, I have no idea. But either way... It is it is an experience. It is if you want to remember what new metal was like in the two thousands, watch this. It definitely it reminds me like if somebody watched the corn music video for Freak on a Leash, which is an impressive video, I won't lie. Mm-hmm. Like that hand drawn animation mixed with like the 
the animation with the bullet and everything. Like, have you ever seen that video? I haven't, but I I really appreciate music videos that do use hand hand drawn imagery. It's a cool video. I appreciate I that. Think there's a famous artist I think who did the animation. Okay. And now I gotta look this up. Corn freak on a leash music video. Um, let's see. It was di- oh, it was directed by Todd McFarlane. No assisted- way. Yeah, and was assisted by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris. I didn't it- know that. Yeah, it's it's got a really cool style, but you can see like that influence in this not nearly as good music video by El Nino for the movie Freddy vs. Jason. Okay. I gotta check out that music video now. I am not a fan of Todd McFarlane as a person, but I appreciate what he's contributed to comic books. Fair. Yeah. That's a fair way to put it. Yeah. Um, Also, I love the... Do you remember the bit in Freddy vs. Jason when the title sequence happens and that song comes on? (laughs) Yeah. That song is called Beginning of the End, and it's by Spineshank. Spineshank. I love this song. And I remember I was telling our friend Dave about this soundtrack, and he laughed and said, Tommy V's listening to Spineshank now. Um, The fun thing about these names of these new metal bands is that we could just be making them up and nobody would know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, fans fans of the actual content will know. But, you know, for youngins who look at the aughts as, like, this cool, nostalgic thing, you can just say things like Crankshaft, and somebody will assume it's actually a band. Yeah, like, do you know the band Soul Destroyer? Is that a real real band, or you're just asking me as... I just made it like up. Like a bit, exactly. <laughs> I made it. Actually, let me Google it just to make sure. Look up look up Soul Destroyer and look up Crankshaft. 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 Oh, Soul Destroyer is a song. Okay, okay. I feel like... <laughs> it's a song. Crankshaft could be a band, but instead of C-R-A, it's K-R-A. Crankshaft is not a band. Okay. It is a beer. Oh. Metropolitan Brewing. Also a new metal band. Metropolitan <laughs> Brewing. Yes. <laughs> so this this movie is something else. Yeah. Uh, I know I've talked to people who were very excited for us to watch it. Mm-hmm. I know people who also have mixed opinions and are like, I like watching it, but it's not great. Um, but I think we had a good conversation about it. Yeah. Don't mistake my criticism as hatred. I do not hate this movie. I don't like it. I just I just address very clearly there's a lot of issues to be had mm-hmm. and a lot of lack of commitment to certain ideas. Like I remember as I got into high school thinking about that and being like cuz by that time when I saw the movie first, I didn't watch all the other movies. I just had an idea of who these characters were. But when you actually like watch all the movies, you start to, even as a fan, just go like, yeah, this didn't really encompass what the th- franchises were about. Like, on a visual representation, they make sure to include things. Right. Like, they're like, oh, Jason in some movies uses a machete? Let's make sure he has the biggest machete in this movie. The thing, too, is that, you know, I don't really like horror movies that much. And I'm sure there are people who are going to be like, oh, what do you mean you hated it? 
the thing is, is like, I was able to get something from a lot of the movies that we've been watching recently. I love Cloverfield, obviously, as a fellow sea monster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Represent. But, you know, I liked elements of Jennifer's body. I liked Ginger Snaps. Um, I watched Cabin in the Woods with my roommates, and I liked that. So there are things that I can definitely keep watching it for. This, I was just like, this is just not a good movie. No. Yeah. And I will not debate that. It is not a good movie. I think, and that's a fair conversation to have. I believe, because if there's ever a day where they do another one. Right. I would hope the anticipation to, for, like... I know you're not the biggest fan of these movies, but at least in, like, let's take Civil War, Captain America Civil War, for example. Okay. Each character distinctly represents a different theme or ideology, mm-hmm. and they commit to it. Like, the movie's plot centers around there's a situation, and there's two characters that represent different ways to, re- to react to the situation, and it's a battle of conflict. Mm-hmm. Freddy vs. Jason is it introduces ideas that could be interesting conflicts but doesn't commit to any of it and that's the thing too is you know like I'm I'm not I'm not gonna like the Freddy movies I don't think I think it's just not gonna happen because that yeah, yeah. I was gonna say he's a character that inherently represents destruction of youth and innocence right. in a very vile and malicious way right also my nightmares look very similar yeah. to the surroundings that freddy kills people yeah so i see enough of that at night but you know i liked friday the 13th i did like that so maybe my problem is with this movie is i am disappointed with what they did with these two franchises and you know what i can say if you're a if you're a Jason person, this and you said it earlier, and I know my coworker Mike has and I have had this conversation. This movie is really a Nightmare on Elm Street movie that just happens to have Jason in it. Yeah, and it doesn't like even to the point where they recast the fan favorite. Yeah, shows that they're not doing Jason any real justice. Right. Exactly. Like this is not a this is not a you know a favor to the Friday Thirteenth fans. They just and I wouldn't even they just appropriate the source. Yes. Yeah. And give him an unrealistic machete. And make him have a Lenny like quality to him. And a droopy eye. Yeah, exactly. Tom, I think it's time for me to ask you the question. Yes. <laughs> is that your answer, or just no. you'd like to lead into it? <laughs> no, no. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do you think that this movie would work in 2020? No. Okay. <laughs> no. no, it doesn't. It works like when you're with your buds and you're drinking some beers and you're like, oh, it's throwing a dumb movie, but it does not like, it's not going to come, it's not going to come into the, especially now, like I said, like the idea of multiverse franchises is already established and the movie going audience is already getting sick of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you're going to come to this, if you're going to come to the cinema with a movie that's a crossover, you better have a real point to make because yeah. like even they, two years ago, they brought back Halloween. Right. And I, I really like that Halloween and it's debatable. Like, you know, I saw it with our friend Dave who didn't care for it. But like Dave. at least the movie, the movie presents an interesting idea. It's a reflection of the times and says, "We bring a slasher from the '70s into the modern age, 
let's explore the idea of how trauma can affect the person into their later life. Mm -hmm. So there's already, and like horror movies in general, like A24 and Blumhouse have made these horror movies that even as dumb as some of them are, there's elements of the fear of the home invasion or the fear, like when you watch the Purge movies, the socioeconomic reflection in these movies, we cannot have a movie like Freddy vs. Jason that says nothing right. and doesn't commit to the full absurdity of it. We're, it won't work. We're much more about horror movies now um, having a reason behind their process. Yeah. yeah. And it's not to say that horror movies didn't have that before. They certainly did. Like, especially, I would say, maybe the 70s, mm-hmm. a lot of exploration of you know, sociopolitical, socioeconomic issues reflected in horror. It's always been there. But whereas in 2003, you can get away with making a Freddy vs. Jason that doesn't commit to any themes, it would absolutely not do well today. Right. And I thought at least that if there was like a campy comedic element to Freddy vs. Jason, I could handle some of the bloodier moments. But like, ooh, the first 10 minutes of that movie, I was like, ooh, this, I was not expecting this. Oh, remember the bit with the bed? Yeah. I like the bit with the bed because he he was a bad guy. Remember the bit where she just had a really shitty boyfriend? Yeah, remember the bit? Oh, man. (laughs) Remember the bit when all these clearly like 20, 30-year-old people were playing high school kids drinking way more alcohol than they would in real life? Yeah, I didn't drink nearly as much alcohol (laughs) when I was in high school. Yeah, no one did. Yeah, and they they were just like, oh, I just really like drinking and smoking a lot. And I'm like, who says that at 15? Nobody. Uh, yeah. Remember the bit when Kelly Rowland was telling Lori, the non-existent main character, to get over her trauma and just sleep with this nasty piece of shit man who drank clearly more than a kid at his age would yeah of course kelly Rowland's whole character is just like a bunch of tropes just piled on top of each other and it's not and that's a shame yeah Yeah. that's another thing like our expectations of what we want out of these characters would not work today right that's the thing i think that um if they brought freddie versus jason back they'd have to work really hard to make it more interesting Make it more interesting, like, either dive deep into the absurdity. I think now more than ever, you can get away with making a straight-up absurdist movie and people will dig it. Yeah. But if you're not going to go full absurdist, you better have a good, like, not even, like, that's the thing, like, you got to be doing something. You can't just... You got to do something. You got to do something. Just the mere fact that you put two franchises together doesn't impress people anymore. No. And you, you mentioned A24, and I don't really know a lot of the horror movies that they've put out, but I do like A24 in general for a lot of their other movies that they've put out. You know, um, they did do Lady Bird. And yes. um, they've got a new Sofia Coppola movie coming out with Rashida Jones and Bill Murray that I really want to see. It's like a buddy movie, oh, really? but it's between... Like a grown-up daughter and her Playboy dad. Yeah, <laughs> the dad is Hereditary. Hereditary made Midsummer. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't make it. That like they produced Midsummer, Hereditary, which I think Hereditary is one of the scariest movies ever made. Uh, it comes at night. The killing of a sacred deer. The lighthouse, which was 
another one of my favorites. The Lighthouse looks super good. I want to watch The Lighthouse. It is bizarre. I know what happens in it, it, because, you know, I like to read the synopses of movies that I'm not sure I can handle watching. Yeah. Um, It looks super cool. I love love a good crazy sea tale. The Witch, which was also pretty cool. That one I watched, and that was super scary, but under the context of, like, they have these very tense, quiet moments where, like, your expectations of what is going to happen next are worse than what they actually show you. Yeah, and this one's another one of my favorites, The Black Coat's Daughter. Oh, okay. I really like The Black Coat's Daughter. Um, that was a recommendation from Claude. Claude! Emma Roberts is in it. Oh, cool. And I I love her, but I never get her name right. She plays... Squishy. Sabrina in the new Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't she's, remember she's, her name either. She's, yeah, she's, it's, uh... She's in Mad Men. K- Kiernan Ship- Shipka. Oh, Kiernan Shipka? Yes, yeah, okay. that's her name. Yeah, no, she's great. Even in Mad Men, I hoped that they would continue the show just because I wanted to keep seeing her character develop. She's great. Yeah, I am a bad fan. I didn't remember her name. No, it's okay. I also feel like once we start recording, I'm always like, Ugh! like, what was this person's yeah. name again? That's fair. Yeah. All right. So we asked the question, yes. do we want to put one of these or one or two? I think there's two that can go on. I'm definitely going to add some of these songs to our playlist because I made the promise okay. to Mike yeah. that our playlist would have more metal on it eventually. Sorry, Mike. That's on me. Um. I think the title track has to go. Okay. How can I live? Okay. And then I think we could just, just for this episode, we can put how can I live on the, on the Google doc. Okay. But I will put some of the other songs into the actual playlist. Okay. Like Lamb of God's 11th hour. How can I ignore that? That's a great song. People do like Lamb of God. All right. So I'll pull up the lyrics. If you pull up the Google okay. doc. Read me the lyrics. I don't know the song. I'm just making noises. And then the guitar comes in. And then the lyrics go, I am so alike you in so many ways. Okay. I know I'm just a copy that carries on the strain. But we make the same mistakes. Because we're all one in the same. But we leave behind the stain. I cannot stop my right. And then the, the post chorus. All that lies in me. All that dies in me. How can I live without you? Hmm. Um, I'm reading the lyrics. I am. This is the next part. I am your mirror image. I'm all you left behind. You made me what I am. Then who the hell am I? I'm gonna. It's a little bit more complicated than I'm thinking. Denouncement of society, nonconformity. Yes. Well, especially if it's new metal, it's gotta go sure. there. Sure. And the thing is, is like, oh, but he's talking about being exactly the same. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He is being critical of being exactly like everybody else. So therefore. He's questioning conformity, therefore not conformity. I feel like this is also like a post breakup for a fairly traumatic relationship. 
like how can I live without you? Ooh, that's a that's a painful one right yeah, there. Yeah, but I yeah. feel like it's just sort of sprinkled in there. That's true. Like it'll be like I'm an I'm an automaton. I'm an automaton. I'm made of plastic. Why did you break up with me? We're all the same. We're all the same. I'm made of plastic. I'm a Barbie girl living in a Barbie world. But also, <laughs> why did you leave me? Why did you leave me? Yeah, so that's what I get out of it. What do you think? Yeah, that's fair. I'll put it okay. Through. Especially if it's new metal, it's got to be nonconformity. Like, that's that's the reason it exists. Yeah. It is so nonconformity that it doesn't even want to conform to traditional metal standards. Fun fact, a lot of nowadays, new metal gets a lot of respect when it didn't back then. And I will say that new metal really did introduce a really cool sense of production for the percussion oh, cool. in metal that wasn't necessarily there before. Mm. Yeah, drummers don't get enough credit. Yeah. That shit's hard. Starting with Sepultura. They are not a new metal band, but I can see where a lot of new metal took from that really cool percussion style from... Because they're from Brazil. Brazilian. Yeah. Yeah, Brazilian death metal band Sepultura. Yeah. So, that's where it goes on the list. Uh, do we ask the final question? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. All right. Tom. Yes. What has been your weekly obsession? Halloween. <laughs> Just the concept of Halloween or the movie Halloween? The concept. The concept. I'm dec- my redone and decorated my apartment, put up some lights really gone into the spirit of it and by the time this episode releases i'll be knee deep in my pumpkin carving challenge yes uh i've acquired some new tools i've got some clay clay sculpting material yeah those are legit i'm going hardcore with these yeah those are some nice make no mistake clay sculpting tools are not cheap no they're beautiful same thing as like printmaking materials anything to carve into wood or Anything like that, they're beautiful. Yes. Yeah. And what about you, Courtney? Uh, I don't know. Sleep. No. Um, I don't know. I guess with everything being very chaotic, um, I've really gotten into Pride and Prejudice, again, by Jane Austen. I love Pride and Prejudice, but now there seems to be this weird niche of Pride and Prejudice memes on Instagram. And they just make me really happy. You know, and I can appreciate that. Yeah, like, they're not memes that, you know, discuss things happening in the world where they just use pictures of Pride and Prejudice. It's, like, jokes that apply to what happens in Pride and Prejudice. And I really appreciate that. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's, that's been my obsession. That's what's, been, that's what's been keeping me happy this week. And that you deserve to be Thank happy. Thank you. I feel less right. clover today now. I feel less clovey. Do you feel more SCP-3000? No, not, I, I don't feel as, like, I feel like that is, like, you feel larger than life. Like, you can take on anything. Like, Q, Power by Kanye West. That's the vibe that I get from SCP-3000. I just... It's a giant eel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I just feel, like, a little bit more, like, you know, King Kong when he decides he is he wants to go ice skating with the lady. And that's it. I can appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. I feel I feel better now now that we've recorded. That's fair. I'm really glad. Yeah. 
This is good. Uh, yes, there was one thing I wanted. Right. Did you know eels have a second set of jaws? Sure, they do. It's really creepy when you see it. Like they have the regular jaw, and then in the back of their throat is a second pair of jaws. It's kind of like the xenomorph. Oh my god. It's literally the xenomorph, and it is upsetting. Have you ever seen, um, uh, similar to xenomorph, um, have you ever seen what a dragonfly jaw looks like? Dragonflies have jaw. Well, their mouths. Have you ever looked up dragonfly mouths? No. Google that shit. I'm doing it right now. That's horrifying. Dragonfly mouth. Um. Right. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. Why did you do this yeah. to me? So next summer, when you're having a great time, dragonflies. Oh, yeah. God. They have a scary mouth. Oh, Jesus Christ! What the fuck? You're welcome. It's weird. Oh. <laughs> All right, with that, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you had fun. I had fun. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Is this the end? No, this is not no. going to be the end. The end is going to be a special one. Yeah, I say that the end so far actually has truly been my favorite. And I'm glad yeah. because I'm so happy to talk about it. I have not seen it since I saw it off-Broadway many moons ago, mm -hmm. but... We're going to be talking about the Evil Dead musical. It's so good. It's so much fun. So, guys, you can find that on YouTube. Mm -hmm. The whole thing's there, yeah. The guy who plays Ash looks like a live-action version of Abraham Lincoln in Clone High. That's amazing. Yeah. All right, guys, thank you so much. Be sure to leave a like and comment if you can, unless it's Spotify. I don't think you can leave like Whatever, I'm getting off course. You can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, Google, Podbean. Uh, follow us on the Instagram. Remember the 00S podcast where we share funny memes and things. Like, rate, subscribe. All of the, all the things. Yeah, all of the podcast things. That'd be great. Thank you. All right, guys. Stay spooky. Oh, boy. I know. All right, <laughs> I'm sorry, John. <laughs> Someone who'll make them remember.